0: Hey everyone, we have been missing you. We're so sorry that there has been such a pause in release of episodes. A, it's just been a really crazy season in which Jen and I schedules aren't coordinating always that well. We've been away a lot doing some fun things, but Rhythms of Grace is coming this January. Essentially, it is eight weeks of learning more about eight spiritual rhythms that we really truly believe will bring us into deeper understanding of God's grace in our lives so you can do it solo, just following along with us on the podcast. You can do it with some friends. We are going to have books available for purchase very soon that will guide you through a few reflections every week on that spiritual practice. They're going to cost between $10 and $15, so pretty affordable. Otherwise, there's also going to be digital copies available to you because we just want to learn together in community for 10 weeks together. So that information is going to be coming very soon this week. So if you're not following on social media go to at just work friends on instagram um also on facebook and we're gonna have more information about that otherwise we might have some links and different things in the show's notes for you or you can also email me ainsley.s at yfcnorthperth.com and we will send you any information you need to know about that. We are very excited.
1: We promise it will be worth the wait. Anything else to add, Jenny? Or you can email me at jen.b at YFC and I will forward the email to Ainsley. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's going to be good. The episodes uh, that we are releasing on Mondays will coincide with the booklet. So it's kind of like a two part approach to this. I'm mm-hmm. just so pumped.
0: Yes, so with that little plug aside, let's get into the episode.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to the Work Friends Podcast where we bring meaningful conversations to you. I'm Jen Brewbaker, and I'm here with my co-host work and real friend Ainsley Stanley. This is a bonus episode
0: again tackling another dead mentor with our friend Joel Zanting. Joel, what can we say about Joel? A coffee connoisseur for one, a lover of Jesus. He also is a former pastor, um, somebody who was also a residential minister that built into other pastors. He's been a church planter. He's done many things in his life, Um, now in a bit of transition, but still doing ministry work as well as coaching and supporting churches and stuff like that uh, and he has a really really interesting take on dead mentors one of his favorites renee padilla we're excited
1: to ju- jump into it so go grab some coffee jump through the rain because it's raining today do whatever you need to do enjoy today's episode i just thank you so much for the gift of community um, the gift of this podcast, and, yeah, for Joel's willingness to join us. I just pray, God, that you would be glorified in and through this, that the people who listen to this would be challenged and encouraged, and ultimately that they would see you a little bit more clearly through the life of Rene. Um, thank you so much for his faithfulness and all the work that he's done and just the gift of learning and looking back to the past. Um, we love you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Great. Okay, well, welcome, Joel. This is so exciting having you here. Um, thanks. Yeah, thanks for joining us. An honor. Yeah, I have to say, I I think this is maybe like the third or fourth time we've met. The second time I met you, Ainsley and I were chatting in the parking lot, and we hear this car drive by, blaring yes. music, and I'm like, it's probably some <laughs> teenager. And all of a sudden, I hear, "Hey!" I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" And then I look, and it's you. It's me. I'm like, "Oh, it's just Joel. Cool." So anyways, welcome.
2: (laughs) Uh, That's a good memory. Yeah, Yeah. oh, it
1: is. It is. Um, Well, to start things off, we're just going to ask you some fun facts so people can kind of get to know you a little bit better. So where did you grow up?
2: All right. This is like, I have to have the answers correct for this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: This is like the most important portion of the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I'm
2: full serious now. (laughs) Here we go. Well, I grew up in Chatham, Ontario, Mm. which is a city of... About 40000 between London and Windsor.
1: Cool. My dad broke his arm in Chatham. <laughs> That's like my memory of Chatham. the oh, wow. connection. Awesome. And now that you That's live very there. That's very specific. I, I grew up there. did
2: not get charged. <laughs> I did not it do the It was not Joel.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, what is your ideal day?
2: Oh, my goodness. I am such a morning person. Um, so I'm often like awake before uh, my alarm goes off in the morning. So... Mm. Up at dawn, uh, that's like the best. Fresh roasted coffee. Um, and then from there, it's like time with family and friends. Like I have lots of activities that I love to do, but as long as it's with others, then I'm good to go. Mm. And, um, and then if I take it to the nth degree, um, like when I travel, um, even for, for work, ministry, pleasure, then I love exploring. I love exploring cities in particular and get out on a bike or a bus or whatever, or walk and just explore, uh, explore the history, explore the culture. That's mm. like, that'd be my ideal day.
1: That sounds like a good day. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, if you could have dinner with three people dead or alive, who would they be?
2: Yeah, this is a, a really weird one. Um, so when we talk about dead mentors, like, um, Jürgen Moltmann is a theologian that I'd love to sit down with, um, and uh, there, there are different reasons for that. He grew up in Germany. He was conscripted as a Nazi soldier, and then later in life, he, he would say things like, I've learned uh, that liberation from Jesus is for those who are in need of of being liberated from oppressors, but also for the oppressors. Mm. And, I mean, I would love to sit down Mm. with Jürgen Moltmann. Um, I know that uh, for the last, like, two generations uh, that, like, my grandparents followed Jesus, but I'd love to actually sit down with, like great, great grandparents, you know, and hear about their life and story and then Mm. figure out like what is in the DNA of my heritage as a Zanting, um, from my mom's family as a Robus that is still alive, uh, in Mm. me. Mm. So that's two. I can't give you a third. Um, yeah, I, I don't have a third right off the top.
1: Mm, That sounds like it would be a good dinner party. Mm. Um, where is the best place you've been to?
2: Okay, Uh, so if if I think about the memories of places I've been, I've been in North Africa on the Sahara Desert between uh, first light and sunrise and just sat there in silence uh, with God. There were others around, but it was part of a prayer tour through North Africa a number of years Mm. ago. And that moment is one of the most important in my life it's like top memory Uh, i've also toured the ruins of petra and hiked up to the monastery there um, in the south of jordan that was was pretty cool and i've slept on uh, a mat on the floor of a house that was built by world partners which was an organization that i gave leadership to for evangelical missionary church of canada and was hosted by families who received this house and just the the sounds in rural uh, Haiti, the hospitality. Um, that was just an amazing experience. So mm. you get a top three.
1: That's so cool. I also like that your answers are just like these are the most beautiful places that I've been to, but also mm. like beautiful people, beautiful hospitality, like beautiful experience. Moments. Yeah. 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 Um, if you had a parallel life, what would you want it to look like?
2: Yeah, this, uh, this is an existential question, so, um, so yeah, it deserves uh, kind of a parallel answer. Mm. I often think back with, um, with regret, like I was, um, I was not very kind to women or to, uh, to young women in my life when I was a teenage boy, so uh, if I had a parallel life, I, w- I would have treated women better. Uh, earlier in life mm-hmm. and came to some conviction around that, which mm-hmm. was great, including, you know, having just awareness of how God uses them in leadership and supportive of that. So that would have come earlier. And I, I think back, I would have spent more time on my music lessons earlier um, because my parents tried to cultivate that in me and I just didn't put in the effort mm-hmm. uh, early on and um, and so, it didn't really hit my stride um, musically till mid twenties, kind of thing. So, those are those are some things that I think of.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, aside from those fun facts, these questions are always interesting to me because I feel like you really do get to see, like, a, you get to have a good picture of our guests through some of those questions. But aside from those fun facts, tell us about <laughs> tell us about yourself and what life looks like for you.
2: Yeah, you've caught me in a weird gap in my in my life. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you some of the stable things. Well, no, scratch that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's all in flux. But like I said, I've come from this long, great heritage of faith and loving home and hospitality and all of that. And uh, I've been married to Chrissy for twenty nine years. We have adult children um, who are you know. All of them are in their 20s, are launching, most are married, and uh, they're figuring out life, spiritual life, what it means to follow Jesus, answer those questions, so it's a fun stage of life, Um, and as of uh, almost two years ago, we became grandparents, Uh, so I have one granddaughter, Mm. and being an opa is pretty cool, so... Those are, um, those are the family pieces. Uh, I live in Guelph, Ontario, and have been there all of our married life. Mm. Um, ministry-wise, it's been interesting because I started uh, as a church planter and local church pastor and then moved into a role um, giving support to pastors uh, in the Evangelical Missionary Church where I'm still an ordained minister, credentialed pastor. Um, I, I worked as a regional minister and providing coaching and resourcing and support uh, for pastors and helping churches follow Jesus on mission in their context. And I did that for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then I uh, was called in to give leadership to the global mission arm and to move from simply being a mission sending agency and a separated relief and development organization Uh, to integrating those and thinking about how to move to a next chapter of global mission engagement, built Mm -hmm. more around partnership with those that are there. And so, you know, local, national, global. um, And then a year and a half ago, I got restructured out of that position. And the young uh, leader that was working with me, her name is Nicole. She's continuing to give leadership to world partners. And now I'm in this transition in my life where I've done some education, finished a master's degree, and I'm ap- applying for what's next. So I'm in this gap uh, right now, v- vocationally or in terms of my ministry role, but I'm uh, enjoying um, enjoying it and hating it all at the same time. Right. <laughs> so I enjoy the fact that I have like fulfillment every day. I'm doing some consulting with a couple churches and a mission organization, um, doing some itinerant preaching and mm-hmm. pursuing doctoral work. Um, and and then just the sense of waiting and trusting god for a next i think i've got one more full time vocational role uh ahead maybe more but Ugh. i still feel like there's something that god is calling me towards mm. and it's not clear yet so it's a season of trusting and waiting um so that builds my character and deals with my patience uh my lacking of patience and all that sort mm. of stuff mm-hmm. um yeah, I I'll say as well. I love like playing squ- sports like golf and squash, and those are with other people. I love cooking. I love jazz music. Um, Christy and I are actually planning to go to um, Cuba for the jazz festival mm. the next year. So cool. that's the next big trip. So looking forward to that. So. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah want to come picture. and join life? Want to come and hang out? Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Joel has, do you roast your own coffee or do you just get it from specific places that you're very picky about?
2: Um, well, yes and yes. Okay. Wow. So, um, so yeah. That's I why love, I want to hang out. <laughs> I love getting green beans. I have a funny story about that because. Um, I recently got some green beans as a fundraiser. Um, Somebody that works with SIM, which is a mission organization, is a friend who roasts beans and said, I've got some great uh, Ethiopian Yergachev, uh, which is one of my favorite. And I said, oh, can you set a couple bags aside? I was in another meeting in in the same building and came down and got my uh, two bags of, of coffee beans. Well, I took them out west. I gave one to a friend. And then uh, we were at a family reunion. I opened the other one, and uh, I'm like, oh, these aren't roasted yet. Uh So I gave a bag of unroasted uh, (laughs) coffee beans to a friend who's never roasted coffee beans before. (laughs) So now I'm doing, like, remote coaching um, in order to help them roast these beans. But then uh, my brother is also, like, a coffee nerd and so we spent the hour together and roasted them. And then the best time, the optimal drinking time is uh, between 4 and 24 hours after you roast coffee beans. So seal them up, and it was fantastic.
1: That's so cool. I first started drinking coffee when I was 15 because I went to Ethiopia. And I'm like, I have to like coffee, right? The coffee ceremonies, all those things, right? So beautiful. Best coffee I've ever had in my life. But... Yeah, it is. It's so interesting how there's a wide range of coffee Mm -hmm. from excellent to not so excellent. (laughs) What would you say is um, your most favorite coffee to drink that you would purchase at a store or shop or wherever? His face fell, he wouldn't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry, no answer. I just, I I just saw you go. Like, hmm. for, for the people who out there, myself included, who don't roast their own coffee. Who or maybe live in Listwell where like there's not a lot of coffee roasting options. Yeah. Like, what would you A little bit more accessible, maybe. Theirs?
2: All right. Here we go. So uh accessible coffee. Yes. Um medium roast, uh, three sisters blend. Um by
0: kicking horse kicking
2: horse mm. and uh and so that often will come on sale you know buy two bags for set price um 28 dollars i think last time i checked at zares um it's cheaper at zares than no frills and uh mm-hmm. so yeah i i i do some of the shopping so i get uh, acquainted with where, where i can get the best price on those But then um, I buy the V60 filters and do pour overs. And so um, a shout out to a local roastery called Cavan Coffee in Guelph. And they do a lot of specific single origin uh, beans from Latin America in particular, Honduras, Guatemala, and so on, uh, specific elevations. And then they get into coffee futures where you can spend like $100 a pound on coffee and stuff like that. So, um, so. Whenever I run out of filters, I deliberately splurge and then I buy something a bit more mm. not, not accessible to the masses, but <laughs> oh my goodness, it's so good.
1: It's mm. so good. good to know. See, I like asking people who like coffee, for example, right? I enjoy a good cup of coffee, but I would not call myself a coffee connoisseur. So Me this neither. is good. No. Okay. No. <laughs> well, the next time we're in Guelph. You think you've
2: reached a level of connoisseur, and then you meet these other people out there, and you're like, oh my goodness, mm. I'm, a, I'm just an ordinary consumer. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's what it feels like. It's like, as much as I've learned, I have so much more to learn. Mm. Mm.
1: Such as life, eh? I was going to say, there's <laughs> parallels with that.
0: So, mm. yeah. Anyway, we're not here to talk about coffee, even what? though I feel like we c- it sounds like we could probably have have a conversation about coffee for a whole podcast. But we are here talking about Dead Mentors again, which is kind of fun because I feel like I got more... I've only really been connected with you for like the last year-ish or whatever, um, mm-hmm. more even in the last like eight months. And when we were doing some stuff and wanting to get people to talk about Dead Mentors, and I was having a meeting with Jen Elves and I was like, I, I haven't asked him, but I was like, I bet you my life that... Joel aunting has some good dead mentors. So we, uh, we asked you and sure enough, it even took you a while to like even narrow down who, how do right. you pick one? Right. Yeah. So um, just kind of talk to us a bit about like, when did you become interested in setting people from the past and like it's importance and stuff like that?
2: Yeah, I was reflecting back. Um, so full disclosure, I'll be 52 this year. Congrats. I started pastoring when I was 22. So this December will be 30 years. And early on in um, pastoral ministry, I remember feeling gripped that um, there's kind of a, a, a grip Protestant, evangelical, and there's this, this trouble that I had where I uh, did a lot of studying of 20th century theologians. Um, going back to the Reformation, sure. But before that, there was this huge gap uh, from the New Testament just to sort of skip over to the Protestant Reformation and felt really um, like, boy, I need to dig in a little deeper. And I remember I thought I was so clever. Um, I came up with a a sermon series called The Underground Church. But it wasn't about like the church in persecuted countries that was underground meeting. No, it was about... Dead guys in the ground, yeah. So, and that was that was um, you know back in the uh, mid to late nineties, um, and that started to stir up in me an interest in early church fathers and to look at um, those that came out of the Orthodox Church and out of the Jesuit uh, movements and just to begin to explore some of those connections. So it's a long time back, even though you know I grew up with this sense of. Um, our faith is passed down generation to generation, uh. but there were these massive gaps, and uh, and so that's when it really began to stir in me.
1: Mm. <sighs> So cool. I freaking love these conversations, I just (laughs) want to say. Um, But yeah, it's obviously impossible to really sum up somebody's life within the span of time that we're going to be talking here, but we're going to give a glimpse maybe. So who is your dead mentor um, and what did his life look like?
2: Yeah, so I've landed on Rene Padilla. And Rene Padilla um, was born in the 1930s and just passed away last year uh, mm-hmm. in April of 2021. And what's significant about um, Rene's life is that he's the leader who gave the global church uh, the language of what's called integral mission or misión integral in Spanish. And what that is is basically talking a lot to evangelicals uh, who were passionate about going all over the world, but were unaware of how they were sharing a narrow vision of the good news, mm. um, just about the cross, just about, uh, you know, receiving new life in Jesus, which got translated often as a ticket to heaven. And he was passionately advocating that we have to keep together evangelism with a sense of social responsibility, mm. that that what it means to share the fullness of the good news has to include social dimensions and political dimensions. Um, And and so his writing um, and a lot of public speaking, a lot of engagement with organizations happened in the latter half of the 20th century, but it's still very much relevant and gives us some great questions for where we're at, even for the church in Canada today, and how we're relating to the church across the globe. So, yeah, so this awakening evangelicals to a sense of social conscience and social responsibility as a part of our mandate as followers Mm -hmm. of Jesus. And so I imagine that resonates with you and the work that you're doing every day, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But yet we can still sort of default to evangelism just proclaiming Um, death, burial, resurrection, new life in Jesus, having people get saved. um, And we don't necessarily talk about the implication of the social responsibility.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I feel like I'm like, wow, we keep asking questions, but that's just kind of percolating in my brain already, so that's cool. Uh, What are a few main lessons that we can take away from his life?
2: Yeah, because this idea of um, holistic mission or integral mission is... Uh, what I I deem to be part of his life's work, and Rene Padilla didn't work alone. Um, oh. But I wanted to center in uh, on him because I, I was drawn toward him. The way that he uh, expressed things, uh, there are some videos available online um, that you can kind of watch interviews of him. And he's oh. always like, he's always got a big smile on his face, mm-hmm. a lot of joy in his life, despite the kind of pain that he worked through. But let's talk about his work in conjunction with uh, a movement called Lausanne. Lausanne movement was um, started in 1974, really founded by Billy Graham and by John Stott. And mm-hmm. you might recognize one or both of those names. John Stott was an Anglican uh, church leader uh, in the UK. And Billy Graham, of course, um, headed up the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, was a world-renowned um preacher and evangelist. And what happened was that through Billy Graham's evangelistic efforts in Latin America, that there were all these people that came forward to what would be, we used to call, maybe we still call them altar calls. You know, the altar would be open and people would come forward in large stadium gatherings and give their life to Jesus. And, um, and so there were a lot of converts to Christianity through this movement. But when that happened in Latin America, it did not um, unleash transformational change within the society. Mm. And so Rene Padilla was one of the people that um, that gathered together with other like-minded theologians and began to actually form the Latin American Theological Fraternity um, because they saw churches were growing in these converts— but yet the nations and communities around them were not experiencing transformation.
1: Mm.
2: And uh, and therein um, you know, lies this sense of a gospel as he defined it. So really, how do we understand the gospel? Is it just the message of the cross, or is it about Jesus' entire life? Is it about the way that he interacted with those around him, whether they knew him or not, whether they followed him or not? And... Um, and so he, he writes in uh, a book that, that I'll reference um, through, through this podcast and leave a, a note um, in the show notes, Mission Between the Times. And he defines the gospel as God's good news in Jesus Christ, the good news of the reign he proclaims and embodies, is the good news of liberation, of restoration, of wholeness, and of salvation that's personal, social, global, and cosmic. It's like God wants to restore not only our relationship with God, but with one another, and in fact, with all things, as we know that Jesus' work in the end will be to renew all things.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, it's so it's this bigger, wider sense of the gospel. Um, and out of all of this, the idea of Integral Mission was born. Um, now, he also said that evangelism and social action, this, this was coming at a time when, in the 1950s, after World War II, there was kind of a doubling down of the evangelicals back to the fundamentals of the gospel. They saw uh, the liberal theological movement sort of taking away all the seminaries at the universities, and they were now becoming, they were moving away from, uh, from a saving faith through Jesus Christ, and becoming liberal, and moving toward what they uh, said was the social gospel. Mm. And so evangelicals created a separation from the social gospel. And, uh, and yet in Latin America at, at that time, uh, people like Rene Padilla were saying, there's harm in separating these. We need to ensure that they stay together. That's always been God's design. Mm. Um, that our lives uh, are, are infused not only with a message that we proclaim, but a way of living, the kingdom of God that is completely radically transformative in the world around us. So that's where this idea of integral mission comes from. And it's a big lesson um, that God would use a, a, you know, a South American born and raised leader um, who looked around, who saw the world around him, uh, and said, there has to be a way to to. Uh, inspire people beyond just getting a ticket out of this world to make a difference, particularly for the, the widening gap between the rich and the poor, mm. the uh, corruption of power in leadership. And he just spoke so much about that and people hated him for it.
1: Mm. Mm.
2: Nobody wanted to hear what Rene Padilla had to say. And that I think is, is the a second main lesson that I take from his life. Um, it's an encouragement to all of us who feel like how we're called to live out the Christian faith um, may not have a, an immediate acceptance with those around us, especially if we're kind of like early adopters uh, or have prophetic gifts that God is stirring in us, a, a saying the church needs to change. And we hear that a lot from people who are currently deconstructing their faith. But Renee Padilla started advocating for all of this change. Um, at meetings in Berlin in 1966, he was um, one of the shapers of the Lausanne Covenant, which I brought a copy for uh, you to have today. It's available online. Um, and, and even after so many more important meetings, 1974 was that Lausanne uh, Conference um, through the 80s and uh, leading up to the 90s, there were all of these meetings just trying to get these uh, insights about Integral Mission on the table and in the, the framework of how we think about mission mm-hmm. and our participation. And uh, there was such a disappointment in a meeting in 1989. So remember, 66 to 89. And in 1989, in Manila, Philippines... Even there, Padilla reported that there was a lack of adequate attention given to the question of justice, and so his heart ached for these these things to be put together. But he kept facing opposition from evangelical people, particularly from North America, who said, "No, we got to keep them separated. We got to oh. keep it separated." <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> So Integral Mission didn't really hit its stride until early 2000s. Mm. So I don't know how, um, how that looks from our life, but that is a long period of time, 35 mm. years to fight for something. What's interesting is toward the end of his life, he had to turn down um, opportunities to speak. And so when you look at someone's life's work, they fight and fight and fight and fight. And finally it kind of lands where people are like there's something here that we need to listen to Mm. that's the experience and the perseverance required to stay the course i just love that about renee padilla Mm.
1: wow (laughs) (laughs) there is a lot there um wow what what stands out for you i think um How easy it is for us to label and and to separate things for us to, I don't know, for me anyways, to try to understand things better. Meanwhile, in this context, yeah, like the gospel is both the cross and justice, right? Like we can't separate those things. Life to the full is not just you get a ticket to heaven. And um, yeah, how challenging that must have been for him to reach near the end of his life and for things to kind of click with where people were kind of at and ready to listen Um, and how I'm sure that was beyond challenging for him. And I wonder how um, yeah, what those hide like those hidden moments that him and God had, what those times were like over those the span of his life as he had those conversations. Dang, that's a okay. Wow, that's a lot. Thank you for sharing this. This is so good. Um so wait I want to hear from Ansley. oh Let's Ainsley also oh. yes yeah, sorry
0: <laughs> yeah I mean I think that I I wrestle with that sort of like well again you see like avoiding sort of this with just a social gospel with whatever and I think yeah I, I wrestle between those two things too of like why do we care for the poor what is justice and I think that what often is like taught as the gospel is, is a ticket for forever. And we've had this conversation with Mel a lot of like, is that really good news to somebody Mm -hmm. that there's no justice in this life? It's only one day that there's Mm. nothing here that changes. Like Mm -hmm. that's like not that good of news. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, or at least, yeah, like there's better news that comes in. So what does that look like? And, um, yeah, I think that's like a, Uh, A sort of conversation and learning that has struck me over the last year of like how has God always called us to care for the poor what does that look like Like why yeah and sort of yeah asking for more and yeah to think about you know like he yeah around the time he was doing all this like I was only born in 97 so you know like it's just crazy to see how all these legacies from so long ago of like built upon the conversations that are so relevant in the church now.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, and the tracks that we're running on now in terms of um, the ministries that we're involved in um, are built upon uh, this stuff that happened before your lifetime, um, really before my lifetime too, and I was born in 70. So uh, it's, it's just... Wonderful to see that thread through the centuries mm. of how, uh, there's always a remnant and God always calls the church, um, mm. to, to the sense of purpose that is for his glory and for eternity, um, and uses different people. Um, mm. I always think of that, uh, there's this sense of just taking turns, um, sort of stepping into what God has been up to through the course of human history. Mm. And because we can't separate ourselves from linear time It's really <laughs> uh, you know, but God God is not bound by our linear time. And so there's this thread of story of calling the church to uh, the mission that God has is up to mm. and we get to see it play out in human history. And, and go, wow, this feels like it's connected to what I'm doing now, uh, even though it happened before 97, before you were born. Hmm. It's pretty cool.
1: Mm-hmm. It's just hard to grasp. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it really is.
2: Can I give you, um, uh, just looking at uh, Padilla's life for a moment, he grew up in Latin America Uh, And uh, as I said, he was born uh, actually in Ecuador in 1932, but his family moved to Colombia, and he was raised in Colombia um, since he was age two. And his parents were evangelical, which was a minority there. It was strongly, if you were religious, you were predominantly Roman Catholic. So he actually bore scars on his body um, that people, when he was seven years old, people threw stones at him. Because he was uh, evangelical as he walked oh. down the streets of Bogota, and um, and all, uh, so there was that sense of separation between Roman Catholicism and evangelicalism, which was fairly new on the scene there. But it's important when you when you talk about the gospel impacting things like political world. Often we study history separated from theology. And so here's an opportunity for us. Like When I think back to the 1930s was a time when um, the U.S. was changing their policies on how they were operating in Latin America. So what they had done was they had a lot of uh, U.S. troops sort of keeping the peace and regulating things within Latin America uh, prior to um, the 1930s. And, uh, and this was to protect the interests of global businesses so uh, that there would be good trade relations and all of that. But what was happening um, was that they, their military resources um, were needed elsewhere. This was leading up to World War II. Um, and I'm, I'm going to get in trouble, I think, for s- tr- trying to minimize a massive complex story in a simple way. So just a disclosure there. But under President Roosevelt, the U.S. brought in what was called a friendly neighbor uh, policy in the 1930s. And what that meant was they pulled back uh, their U.S. troops from across Latin America. And that created a vacuum um, into which a lot of uh, top-down militant leaders began to use power and abuse power in Latin America. And uh, it impacted uh, as well. There was there were a lot of there's a lot of history on on U.S. immigration and trade relations, and of course, from Latin America, people people have continued to walk up uh, the the immigration road to come to a land of opportunity. And it seems the U.S. has changed their immigration policy through different periods of time uh, when they wanted workers. Um, lower educated people to work in the fields and the farms in Southern California, they would open it up. And then when it felt like U.S. jobs were being taken away by this, then they would close down immigration. Well, what happened in the 1930s was one of those seasons where the U.S. was actually deporting more people back to Latin America. And so there was an influx of all these people and there was a shortage of jobs and there was a lack of presence. And there were a lot of dictators that took power. And so the, the, what that did is it just created this rift between the rich and the poor, um, those that had money and those that did not. And the drug cartels were, were growing and it's those social realities. Like when you're preaching the good news of Jesus Christ and not, and not looking around at those social realities you have no uh, no authority, so to speak, mm-hmm. and no hope. No euangelion is the you know Greek word for good news, which mm-hmm. is where we get the word evangelical. But there was no good news for the poor. And so uh, Rene Padilla and those with him within this Latin American theological fraternity were those saying we have to do more than talk about escapism, escapism. Um, and, and evangelizing just with proclamation. We have to be those who, um, who actually think about God's preferential option for the poor, was one of the expressions mm-hmm. that uh, John Sobrino, a colleague of his, used. And, uh, and so I look at that, and I say those things were the formative pieces. It was what was happening in the world around him as a young child growing up in Colombia— and seeing uh, the devastation across Latin America mm. that the good news had to be good news for everybody, including for the poor and so that's where this movement actually generated uh, a new life a w- a widening of a sense of the gospel and bringing transformation uh, and particularly to those who were poor.
1: Oh. <laughs> Normally, we're supposed to have good transition comments and blah, blah, blah into the next question, but I'm just kind of sitting in awe of just, um, yeah, I I really like what you said about, like, in a sense, um, each generation or whatever kind of takes turn and where we're at in history and the gospel and revival and all those things. And so to hear about Renee's life and the way that he participated in that is in the culture and the in the history that he lived through i mean that's all within the last hundred years less than a hundred years um yeah mm-hmm. it's it's just uh, yeah I think of just kind of sitting in that kind of awe of just number one god's uh sovereignty mm-hmm. <laughs> and then renee's faithfulness in that because that is not that's not easy whatsoever yeah hmm
2: Can I read another quote of his? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What do you think of this? He writes, All too frequently in evangelical circles, we quote Matthew 9, verse 38, pray to the Lord to send out workers into his harvest, to show the importance of asking the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers into his harvest. Yet we forget the circumstances of the Lord's invitation to pray for more workers. As he saw people coming to him with their diseases and sicknesses, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Behind the suffering and hopelessness of the multitudes, Jesus recognized the absence of leaders concerned for them and able to give them a sense of direction and human dignity there Mm. but how many times have we like how how did you how have you heard that verse right
0: pray for more pastors to apply to bible college right (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: it's like how did how did we do that how did we get there yeah Mm. it's nuts
1: Mm -hmm.
2: that's that bringing it back to what's god's heart Mm, love mm -hmm.
1: that Mm. yeah Mm. so how can uh, there's so much here but um, what can we take from his life and the things that he did? Um, what does this mean for us today?
2: Yeah, I I think one of the one of the helpful things that we can do is wherever we're at in, in our own discovery of what does it mean to be faithful to the mission of God? What does it mean to be a, a Christian today? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Um, is to connect these dots, of evangelism plus a sense of social responsibility. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess we can always get into trouble by, um, by keeping things all separated. If we put those things together, would that impact how we thought about the purpose of the Christian life? To remember the poor... Um, To care um, for the strangers in our midst, for asylum seekers and immigrants and newcomers to our community, Um, not just to crave their food and, you know, to kind of eat uh, at the new restaurants that pop up that are uh, representative of of new cultures and new people moving in. But what does it look like to actually um, be their neighbors, to love them, to to bless them and and so connecting those dots for me like i love um in luke chapter 10 when jesus is sending out the 72 um, that's become a really important passage of scripture and and there again we see jesus instruction he says i want you to travel light don't take an extra bag don't take a tunic um go find a person of peace and knock on those doors and when people welcome you in jesus instruction is eat what is set before you and proclaim the nearness of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And I love that there's this honoring. Jesus is saying when you sit and you receive from others, uh, from their culture, it means they don't have to become like you uh, and your culture in order to know God. Mm-hmm. But it can be scary for us because it's vulnerable. It's it's don't take a casserole and don't take your Bible tracts, but go and sit with people and, pr- and listen to their story and receive the hospitality. Right. Instead mm. of being the one to give all the time and being the one to output all the time, what does it look like to receive? Mm. And that heart, I think there's it, it can it can combat our sort of consumeristic view that we're always playing to the metrics of, you know, how many converts do we have and how many how many people do we have in our churches and in our ministries. And but it's uh, it gets us back to caring about what matters to the people we meet and. Mm. Um, one of the organizations called Move In is just inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. This mission organization just takes people who are willing to move into a neighborhood where there's an, a known population, where there's maybe an underrepresentation of uh, followers of Jesus, and to commit to pray one night a week and to watch God open up opportunities. Mm-hmm. And I know so many friends in Move In whose lives have been completely transformed. And I saw you nodding; you must mm-hmm. know some Move Inners as yes. well. And uh, and so I think that that sim- simple way gets us back to, um, you know, social action based on our faith. One of those stories from Move Inner was walking down a stairwell, saw that somebody uh, was being arrested by a police officer uh, on suspicion of possession of, of drugs just because this person was walking down a stairwell. Mm-hmm. And um, and the move-inner came down the stairs and said, what's going on here? And realized that uh, this was based only on suspicion of something and that there was uh, not enough evidence to search this person and took an immediate step of action and advocacy for this person who doesn't understand the legal system here, um, you know, and was afraid of what might happen. Are they going to be deported, et cetera, et cetera, and just had an ally to walk through that. Mm. And we don't have to be afraid of faith-based organizing for advocating for the needs of others. I, I think there's a gift that comes when we open our eyes to what's going on in the communities around us and the people's needs and that we actually say as followers of Jesus that's that's important for us to care for those that are poor or, or on the margins of society and um, and it always is, it isn't going to always come through church programming right um, that it's going to come through relationship through meeting with people uh-huh. uh, getting to know their story and walking with them
1: uh-huh. <laughs> so good
2: (laughs) you're gonna have to cut about a million words out of this no
0: no it's 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 so stimulating and I think too it's like like on one hand I'm like trying to be like okay it's not time to get on the soapbox or whatever but it's also just like how how much more exciting is it that we all like you said are called to be workers in the harvest like Mm -hmm. to to harvest as it comes ahead of us and right in front of us. And um, actually, Jen and I right now are reading a book on evangelism for Arrow. And and it's like this, you know, even the the, the lady who's, who's writing this book talks a lot about how, you know, how many people are so afraid of evangelism because mm-hmm. they just don't know. And how much more we can just, like, learn from the example of Jesus of how to care and love and have compassion and share truth but like you said it it doesn't look like showing up with your tracks and your casseroles but how many needs are there that like Mm -hmm. are right beside us that we you know we can either walk past or we can actually do something about so um yeah that's really amazing I one question I have I guess is um I'm learning more and more as I talk to different young adults there is a lot of people who who have a desire to like care deeply and see they're sort of frustrated with church and they want and it's it's not out of like a disregard for like I just wanna party. I feel like that's sometimes people chalk it up to be or something. So for people that are like in this place of like they consider themselves a normal person and they don't really know how to do evangelism, but they're, like, desiring more and wondering what that looks like. What is your advice to, like, I guess, like, the basic Christian? That just sounds like—I don't mean to minimize them that way, Mm -hmm. but for the person that feels like I'm just an everyday, ordinary Jesus follower who feels like I have no idea how to do this.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I think we we can learn from Padilla and others that, you know, our life— with Jesus is not just about going to church. And Mm -hmm. I think that that has been spoken of so strongly as the root of our faith, that that the gathering together, the Sunday experience or the small group or Bible study group or service project or, uh, you know, outreach program, 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 is, is the way in which we follow Jesus. But it doesn't necessarily get us to a place where we're finding the ache in our community and when, when followers of Jesus actually begin to explore, what does that look like? What does it look like for me to, to look at my community, my school, my neighborhood, my, the building that I live in, and to, to, to understand that God has actually called me to be a representative of Jesus. And, uh, you know, it, it can be boiled down to cheesy stuff like what would Jesus do? but people get freaked out by evangelism because they think that it has to always be about words and they don't have the right words and they're looking Mm -hmm. for the right words. And so they write the, you know, the four spiritual laws on their hand so that they, (laughs) they know how to, you know, have that one spiritual conversation with somebody, but it ignores all the social protocols of how to be a friend, right? And how to actually just allow, um, the, the series of conversations over the course of time to be infused with an autobiography that says, as a follower of Jesus, this is, this is what I've been learning and to offer that to others and, uh, and to find very natural and simple ways to talk about the difference that God has been making in our life. Um, the church has not always valued uh, a place of our own vulnerability to and so I'm I'm realizing that um, by by admitting to others, by being vulnerable and sharing some of the not just the joys and all the happy clappy uh, stuff of of faith, but the the heartache, uh, the longing, the waiting. I, I talked about being in a period of waiting right now, even vocationally, um, but God has been present in such a profound way, um, and that in and of itself testifies, right? It, it talks about how God, when we, when we walk with God in life, that our story can be a testimony that inspires others. And it doesn't have to be all put together uh, and all the right words in order for that to make a difference. But it's about um, we're sent by God to bless others, um, that we're called to walk along the road with others, addressing whatever issues and um, and the causes of the pain and the ache in society that people are faced with um, being willing to pray with or for people um, and and this this is a life of faith that's then not limited to just seeking and saving the lost but serving people blessing them that's what love is that's what friendship is those are profound and and so I'm, I'm learning that, the hope is not always in the formal things that we think of um, but the informal things a few years back Christy and I did a session for um, for young adults um, at a retreat and we were sitting around uh, at lunch and you know we'd put together some really good material mm-hmm. it was fantastic you know it was it was great um, and so we just said to people like well what what was uh, a key takeaway for you Uh, from that and uh, I just remember one uh, young woman said just watching you two as a married couple Mm -hmm. had nothing to do with what (laughs) we were teaching on or anything Mm. it was just the observance of how the interplay happened right how we would listen and watch each other and and sort of speak uh, and build on what the other was saying and Mm. we were having fun and you know this old married couple and it was really is hilarious Mm. and we're like yeah so it knocks you down uh for a bit of ego to say boy i was thinking our our sessions were so incredible Mm. meanwhile they're just looking at your life
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and god uses the informal stuff so much Mm. and we can discount that
1: Mm -hmm. so
2: that's that's part of it
0: Mm -hmm. living letters Living letters. Yeah, like in 2 Corinthians, yeah. St. Paul's like, you are the letters that go out. Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, yeah, what you're saying reminds me, another book that we read for era was Jesus Centered by Steve Brown. And I think he was referencing somebody when he was talking about this, but he talked about the third place. Like, we spend most of our time at work and at home, but we really... Um, neglect the value that those third places have it, at the gym or the grocery store or whatever. You just talked about what would it look like to be 10% nicer in those third places and to actually be intentional with interacting with people like that grocery store clerk that you see once a week. Mm-hmm. There's an opportunity there. exactly. And because it might not look like quote unquote evangelism, the, the way that we may picture that of standing on the corner of a street or whatever. And, whatever comes to mind when you hear evangelism that we, yeah, don't take opportunities. And I'm speaking to myself when I say that as well, but yeah, so good. So good. Um,
0: How has God kind of shaped you through your study of Padilla?
2: Yeah, I mentioned um, in the bio opening that um, I had an opportunity to, to see world partners transform from a mission sending agency with a separate relief and development arm to um, actually equipping churches to engage differently in global mission and to mm-hmm. build more of a sense of mutual partnership with the body of Christ around the world. Oh. Padilla has been one of those voices, and we have actually used the language, even though it's not popular um, and Holistic mission, holistic people. Christians can still get freaked out and say, oh, that's New Age. <laughs> but um, they have a separate spelling for it. So holistic is uh, H-O-L, holistic. And so evangelicals add a W in front. It's whole, whole. holistic. <laughs> and, uh, and so, w- but we we talk about integral mission as one of the, the pillars and foundations uh, of that reshaping. And so it was Padilla and other... Um, leaders from across the global South, like Latin America, African theologians, what God is doing in Southeast Asia, that uh, to hear their voice in a fresh way was, was really a reawakening for me to say, as we, in, as a church in Canada, uh, continue to be a minority voice— Uh, We don't have to disparage. We don't have to double down and try to cling to whatever power we think we might have Mm. as the church to control society, but to be simple living witnesses um, that are uh, looking to proclaim and demonstrate the good news Mm. of Jesus. And so Padilla opened up my desire to learn from this whole body of other theologians around the world. Um, And now it's interesting, like uh, I have a, I look at churches, libraries, like what kind of books they keep in their Mm. libraries. Um, And uh, a lot of them have like Harlequin Romance for Christians, uh, you know, like just really. uh, Yeah, just that whole thing. And then a a lot of popular books from North American speakers. But when you begin to think, well, where's the influence from the rest of the church around the world? Mm -hmm. And it's missing. And so how do we translate? You know, that's that's what's stirred in me. Um, is that it's shaped me to say to when I prepare even um, for speaking, like p- preaching and so on, to reference uh, the the material that's coming from Latin America, African theological commentaries, those sorts of sources. And I never used to do that, mm. but I've been awakened to the fact that God's church is much bigger mm. than what I thought it was, mm-hmm. um, and that's really been so helpful for me. Um, how to get these voices uh, in, in my thinking mm-hmm. and to share that with others. Because Indigenous theologians and leaders from across the world, they are the ones processing how to live the gospel in their setting. And it helps me to see, oh my goodness, like I read all of these North American voices, mm-hmm. but I'm now very ignorant mm-hmm. of how the church is growing uh, in places like India Mm-hmm. and in Colombia and Brazil and so on. Mm-hmm. So I, I've i been on a journey heading this way for less than 10 years, but this, I think, is, is continuing to grow in its importance in my own uh, life and leadership mm-hmm. as I, uh, you know, continue to work with churches mm-hmm. and mission organizations and think about the future. As a North American church leader, as an old white guy, um, I feel called to be at the table, but I don't have to lead. Mm. I don't have to be in charge of the narrative. I can go with increased curiosity like uh, for the, the lesser knowns. Mm. And, and so, uh, yeah, I want, I want you to be introduced to Renee Padilla, but there are loads of other uh, great thinkers whose influence I think we need in North America, mm-hmm. Canada in particular at mm-hmm. this time to inspire us to say, the church of God is growing around the world Mm -hmm. incredibly, but are we paying attention to that growing edge? And how can that help us? Even though we're not the leaders, we're not in charge of it, but to stay engaged in the story Mm. um, and just to be seated at the table, Mm. not to abdicate and say, okay, well, we were strong for a time. Now it's your turn. You take over. Mm -hmm. No, we need to be there. We need to continue to learn and grow together with these leaders from across the globe. Mm. is that passionate enough for you yeah Yeah, i love it like
1: let's go (laughs) 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 that was impressive (laughs) well thank you for bringing yeah renee's story to us right and to the people who are listening to this because it's just such a good reminder of like who are who are we listening to and um yeah like god's family and god's churches a lot bigger than just North America. And that Mm -hmm. sounds so ignorant, even just saying that, right? But I I think it's really easy to just forget almost. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, talking about books and resources and stuff like that, what would be your uh, favorite books from Patia?
2: Yeah, um, what's interesting is, uh, you know, Rene has written some theological works. He's written some commentaries on the Bible for Mm. Latin America, uh, to train pastors there. Uh, he's done a lot of papers on various things. But there's sort of one book that um, that stands out. Uh, it's his biggest seller. It's been translated in a number of languages around the world. And it's simply called Mission Between the Times. Now, this phrase, mm-hmm. between the times, is a great expression. Um, other theologians talk about the kingdom of God now and not yet. Mm-hmm. But we live in the in-between times, or as N.T. Wright says, um, our Christian life on this earth is like Holy Saturday between Good Friday and <laughs> Easter, mm-hmm. and uh, and so this mission between the times is a compilation of essays uh, that uh, where he's exploring, you know, what is the gospel and what is evangelism, and so it's accessible enough that I, I would recommend it, and I can put that in the we can put that in the show mm-hmm. notes and so on. Um, the other I would recommend if you haven't read it, to read the Lausanne Covenant. Because now that you've heard this and you hear some of the history and some of the pushback, it's a great way to kind of read this this important 20th century mission document. Mm-hmm. It's available for download online free. Um, and uh, I've got a print copy. Uh, the Lausanne Movement in Canada have the rights to print these in Canada and there's, there's study guide questions and so on. So you can get copies through Lausanne Movement in Canada. Mm. Um, but you this covenant will actually unpack some of that integral mission, how that works. Um, and then there's an, a Christianity Today article that I would post that is um, that was released just around the time of his death last year mm. that, again, just summarizes a bit of his life and um, and lets you... Uh, click the link to what other Christian leaders have said about him. So I realize that when you're introducing somebody completely foreign, uh, let's keep it simple. <laughs> but um, I have some other um, uh, some other books that might come in handy in this conversation, but if you put my uh, a link to my website, then people can contact me if they want to f- do any follow-up as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd love to help people resource them a bit more particularly and mm-hmm. specifically yeah. with what they're after. So
0: great. Well, this has been amazing. I feel like we could just go on and on. There's so many things, like, there's just so many little things <laughs> in the conversation that's like, that could be a whole podcast. That could be a whole podcast. But thank you for sort of the crash course and also bringing it from not just like, okay, this person did these cool things as we learn, but like how relevant it is for what mm-hmm. we're doing today, which is the beauty of dead mentors. I mean, some died last year, some died hundreds or thousands of years ago. And what they said has relevance, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I'm actually just going to skip to this last question here, which is a question we ask everybody this and that's, what's the best piece of advice you've been given?
2: Yeah, I, um, I love this question. Um, and I was kind of torn between, Two things. Um, so can I give you two?
0: Give us two. Okay.
2: So the longest uh, advice is a quote that I got uh, when I was doing my undergraduate training in late ni- late 80s, early 90s. And it's a quote by S- Stuart Barton, and I got this in pastoral theology class. So if anyone is like an aspiring pastor <laughs> uh, or a Christian leader, um, this is helpful. But the quote is, if you expect perfection from others, your life will be full of frustration and disappointment. <laughs> but if you take people for the unreliable creatures that we all are, mm. they will frequently surprise you. Mm. And I think that is a word of, of grace giving and, mm. uh, and no, you know, you don't know what people are carrying and, um, and people don't change that much, not overnight, not quickly We know that's true of the church. So how do we continue uh, with a sense of of grace as we walk with others? Mm -hmm. The other one's kind of similar. Uh, Lila Watson is an aboriginal activist um, uh, who said, if you have come here to help me, you are wasting your time. But if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us walk together. Let us work together. And it's that inspiration that says, if we're always the answer people, uh, we can lose sight of the story that God is already writing in someone else's life. Mm -hmm. If we walk with them, that posture is so powerful to hear their real stories and to Mm -hmm. see where God is already at work. And it makes such a difference because we're not coming in as rescuers or the haves uh, to the have-nots. And that, that applies to global mission. It applies to our relationship in Canada with Indigenous peoples, First Nations. Uh, there's something beautiful about, uh, you know, having our liberation bound up together as we follow Jesus and offer, uh, offer what Christ is bringing.
1: Thank you so much. I feel, again, Ainsley said that we could probably talk for hours about multiple things, and I think that is very true. But thank you so much for, number one, your time. Um we've been the benefits of yeah a lot of your learning and reading and whatnot over the years and we're just seeing a a snippet of it now but thank you for sharing yeah pieces of your own story and for Renee's story and yeah just I uh, personally I'm super encouraged that God's not finished yet he has been working from the beginning of time and he will continue to do so um so thank you for joining us today it's been so fun
2: It has been fun, and thank you for letting me talk uh, on and on about coffee.
1: Yes! Of course. (laughs) Of course, of course. Now I know when I'm in Guelph where to go for good coffee, so thank you. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you
0: enjoyed it as much as we did. And we're going to have a few more sporadic episodes coming through this season of breathing. Thank you so much for your patience as we have been um, on a little bit of some tiny breaks. But Rhythms of Grace is releasing in January. So make sure that you follow us on Instagram because there's more information coming out this week on that. We would love for you to join us on diving into eight spiritual rhythms that we really believe will lead to more knowledge and understanding and experience of God's grace in your
1: life until next time. Bye. Goodbye. Toodaloo. Have a great week. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's Monday. <laughs> Happy Monday, everyone.